Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Josh Bennett, uh, my wife Jasmine and daughter Noelle are over in the in the nursery today, and that's uh, that's where I serve as well. But um, you may know them if you don't know me. Uh, I will be reading today from Ephesians chapter two, uh, verses four and five. So a short reading, but uh, but super impactful here. All right, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love that He had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reminder of the riches of your mercy and the great grace that you have given us. Lead us in worshiping you in spirit and in truth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, you may have a seat. Move this guy. Well, I'm excited that my microphone works and to gather. This is fun. You know, it's always if I have a handheld, I'm very handsy, right? And so I can't speak without my hands moving. So I feel so restrained. Man, I'm, I'm excited about worshiping. I don't know about you, but after that last song, just repeating praising God because he's worthy of more. Man, I, it just ministered to my heart. So I'm so thankful to our worship team and they lead us so well each and every Sunday. But listen, as Josh read, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2. We're continuing a series called God Gives. And so just a reminder, as we're gearing up for giving all these presents and shopping, all the activities that Christmas season brings, we do all these things because of what God first gave. And as we talked about week one, God gave and gives hope. Last week, God gave and gives love. And this week, we're looking at how God gave and continues to give his grace. Man, if we get this right, it changes everything. If we understand how gracious God is and how great his grace is, it changes the dynamic of the relationship that we enjoy with him and with one another. I was thinking about this week. I have some kids, right? You know my parents, right? Anybody have parents here? You can raise your hands, right? You can raise your hand. Church is crazy. We are crazy in this church. Raise our hands and wild things. I got some kids, and... I don't know if you know this, but my kids can be disobedient. Anybody ever experienced that? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. They disobey. The black-hearted little wretched sinners they are, they disobey. And yet, even this week in their disobedience, my wife and I still bought them presents. Can you believe it? But it's funny, as you think about that, that's what grace is. Because as Lord willing, they open their presents Christmas morning, They're not going to remember, man, I was just a little sinner, but gracious parents bought me these things and celebrate our goodness and grace. They're not going to do that. I just wonder how many times that we do that in our relationship with the Lord. I think we lose focus and don't appreciate how great God's grace is. The old hymn goes, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind and now I see. This grace is amazing. And so we're going to take the next 180 minutes to walk through God's grace together. You guys aren't ready for that, were you? I came aware of a, through Facebook of this, this church sign recently. In this church, uh, we saw it because it was a church we previously served at. And uh, so they, they posted this sign, and we're going to put it on the screen for you. 
But the sign says, everyone welcome in this church, no exceptions. And I was wondering, as, I, as, you, as you read that and as I read that to you, how does that land on you? Don't answer this, just meditate. How does that land on you? So I think we've been in a society and culture, we see some drifts away from what the Bible actually says and means and what's true. But so when I see this sign, I think two things. One, let what this sign says be true of this church. And it's crazy I haven't explained this, but I will. It's the everyone. The Bible talks a lot about the everyone, the alls, and no ones. That's pretty all-encompassing. Romans 3, verse 12 says, There is no one who does what is good, not even one. I want to pause there just to be clear that we are included in that no one. Because I think, I wonder who comes to mind when you think of no one who does good. You think about Ted at work or Barbara at the restaurant. No one. Romans 3, verse 23 says, for all, that's a lot of people, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are in the all. Romans 10, verse 13, then says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, everyone comes from the no one and the all. No one does good, all have sinned, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is an amazing grace. Jesus says, for God loved the world in this way, that he gave his only one son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Notice it said, everyone. So yes, what this sign says, I hope that it's said for this church, that everyone always can come here and hear about the grace of God. Because we all need it. Yet, on the other hand, what this sign says isn't what I just said. Because it means something different than what it says. And you may be asking, how do you know that? Did you talk to them? Did you call them? No, no, but I saw their post in the comments. This is interesting. Thankfully, somebody asked the question. In the comments of this post, the question was, everyone welcome but without judgment and being told you're going to hell? That was one of the comments from someone. And the church's response said, yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Everyone comes. We're not going to tell you about God's judgment and how you're going to hell because of sin. We're not going to tell you that. Everyone comes in God's love. Let me ask this. You got a doctor who intentionally did not tell you your right diagnosis of a deadly disease that had a cure, would you call that doctor a good doctor? Absolutely not. That doctor would not be a good doctor. He'd be untrustworthy and not a person of integrity. In the same way, if there was a judge who would not enforce the penalties of broken laws, you would not call that judge a good judge. He would not be considered just or right. And as we know, what's said and what's meant are two different things. I mean, if you've been married for any amount of time, you know they're two different things. Like husbands, there's been times, let's be honest, that you've noticed maybe your wife may be a little agitated for reasons unknown. It has nothing to do with you, obviously, right? And so the natural response is, honey, is there, is there something wrong? No. 
right? Well, obviously, well, there's nothing wrong. Everything's good. I'm going to go my way. Young men, husbands, she doesn't mean no. Something's wrong. What she said isn't what she meant. And it's probably you. Let's just be honest. What this shallow sign reveals is a bogus biblical view. And it cheapens the greatness of God's grace. You cannot see the depths of God's grace without seeing the depths of your depravity, your sinfulness. You just can't. John 3, 36 talks about this truth of reality of God's wrath and the reality of God's grace. John 3, 36 says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Feel the weight of that. Romans 5, 8 says, but God. Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the question has to be asked, why did he die for us? While we're still sinners, he chose to die for us anyway. Why? It's to satisfy God's wrath for all who would believe. So you don't have to. This is what Jesus was praying moments before he'd be led away to his murder. You remember this. He was praying passionately. He says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but you will. The cup he's talking about is the cup of God's wrath that was about to be poured out on him in its fullness. So he says, if it is possible, if all roads lead to heaven anyway, if I can just obey the Ten Commandments, if I can align my chakras, right, reincarnate enough times, obey the five pillars, do enough good, do the right religious thing, I mean, I go to, go to church enough. If, if, is there any other way for God's wrath to be satisfied, let it be that. Yet not my will, but yours, and we know the rest. That God's will was for Christ to go to the cross, to be crucified, to bear the wrath of God in his fullness. So we see Romans 5, 8, but God proves his own love for us. Now while we're, Christ, we're still sinners, Christ died for us. And it's followed by verse 9, because that's how it works, 8 and 9. You guys tracking that? This is how counting works. Romans 5, 9 says, how much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him being Jesus from wrath? It means those who believe are justified, acquitted, because we were criminals. Jesus says this in Matthew 7, he says, enter the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And few find it. And then John 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. What we see throughout the Bible is he continually reminds us that God is a God of justice and rightly executes his vengeance. Yet God, who is love, is also merciful and gracious. And when we come to these characteristics, they seem contradictory. So it might be helpful to just take a moment to define the terms. And so I wanted to define three terms for us in a very simple, straightforward way, hopefully. Justice, mercy, grace. So justice simply is when you get what you deserve. 
when you get what you deserve. And justice is interesting because when you've been wronged by others, you want justice, right? Of course. But when you wrong others, don't we want mercy? Know how it works? We plead for mercy. Let me give this example that we're going to run through. There, there was a young man who was driving 25 miles per hour over the speed limit, which in Virginia, that's reckless driving. So he's pulled over for reckless driving. This is his first time. And so now he has to go to court because now this is a criminal offense, no longer is a traffic violation. And in Virginia, this offense can go up to 12 months in jail, up to a $2,500 fine, up to a suspension of a license of six months, and additional, a permanent criminal record. That's in Virginia. So this young man stands before the judge, and he pleads for mercy. So simply, mercy is when you don't get what you do deserve. That's mercy. So this violation carries, and this crime carries a penalty that demands payment. Yet based on the circumstances of this young man's first-time offense and clean driving record up to this point, the judge only enforces the $2,500 fine. But the young man, he pleads for help. Because he doesn't want to go to jail, and he doesn't have the money to pay the penalty. So he's asking for grace. Please, for mercy, ask for grace. Judge, I need you to do something because I can't. So something grace is when you get what you don't deserve. You guys tracking the difference? You get something you don't deserve. And so the judge moved with compassion for this young man, steps up from his seat, removes his judicial robe, walks down his stairs, puts on his sport coat, walks around the wooden railing that separated him from this young man. The judge then pulls out his checkbook. All right, for those that don't know the checkbook is, right? It's this little thing you write on. And writes the full payment to the court and then places it on the wooden railing. The judge then walks back around the railing, takes off his sport coat, hangs it back up, walks back up the stairs, puts back on his judicial robe, and takes a seat. And the judge tells the young man, it appears that your penalty has been paid. You're free to go, but don't go that fast anymore. Reminds me of Jesus and when this woman was caught in adultery was placed before him and this crowd was getting ready to stone him. And they asked Jesus, what, what do you say? And he begins drawing in the dirt. You remember this? Who knows what he drew? I, I really want to know one day. And then the crowd leaves and he stands up and he says, woman, has no one condemned you? She says, no. And he says, neither do I go and don't sin anymore. God took off his royal robes as deity and chose to put on his robe of humanity to save all who would believe from their depravity. This is Christmas. This is the advent of Christ. 
This is what we celebrate. This is the goodness of God's grace. And so when we come to Christmas season, we have so much to celebrate. And this is what brings us to the Ephesians passage that we see today. The book of Ephesians is a letter written to local church Christians. And so as you see, Josh wrote Ephesians 2 verse 4, which starts off, but God. That's never a great great way to jump into a text right in the middle of it. Because the but God means there's something before that that led to something he's about to say. So what we see is this this truth that these Christians that he was writing to used to be something different. But Christ did something new in their life. So if you back up to verse 1, Ephesians 2 verse 1 says, And you were dead. That means you're not dead anymore. In your trespasses and sins, which you previously walked According to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit, now working and disobedient, we too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were, by nature, children under wrath, as the others were also. So he's talking to Christians, saying, you used to be these things, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love they had for us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. So those who were dead in their sins and trespasses, you are now saved by grace. And man, if we realize how amazing this is, there would be a whole lot more amens in this room. I'm just saying. Like we get so comfortable, like I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. Me either. We have a higher view of ourselves than we ought to. That's why we need the truth of God's word to see how amazing God's grace is. Let's think about it. We're all about to make New Year's resolutions. I say all, most of us. And guess what? Most of them will not carry through. Most of them will fail because we can't even carry out our own standards. And we're expected to carry out God's? I say this lovingly. We're not as good as we think. Because only then can we really respond to how great and amazing God's grace is. Because we're getting him whom we don't deserve. And what's interesting is that many people, there's an argument that God's changed over the years. We see in the Old Testament that God was full of anger and wrath. But in the New Testament, we see God's love and grace. And something's changed. Do you know God hasn't changed? Do you know who God's always been Love and grace also. He's always been wrath in the righteous, right, just way. The psalmist in Psalm 103 verse 8 says this phrase that is really reiterated throughout all the Old Testament. He says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. God's always been this. Malachi 3, 6, God says, I have not changed. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this is good news that God is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in faithful love. That's who he is. That's who he was and will always be. This is good news for us. And if I had time, I'd walk you through the whole Bible to show you evidences of God's grace. I would tell you about Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 who deserved death for disobedience, but God chose to cover their shame and sin through his sacrifice. But I don't have time to tell you that. 
If I had time, I'd tell you about Abraham, who's known the father of many nations, a man God selected by his own choosing, not from anything that Abraham was doing. But we don't have time to cover that. If I had time, I'd tell you about King David, referred to as a man after God's own heart, but would go and commit adultery with this woman named Bathsheba, who happens to be Uriah's wife. And then David takes the next step because Bathsheba got pregnant, so David's going to trick Uriah. And to think the baby was alone, but when that plan failed, David mastermind Uriah's murder to cover up his sin and his shame. And though David would suffer tragic consequences by his own choices, the tr- grace of God in the form of conviction came to David's life that led to repentance. And then David would write Psalm 32. It's his prayer that says, Then I acknowledge my sin to you and do not conceal my iniquity. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. This is God's grace that I don't have time to tell you about in King David's life. If I had more time, I'd tell you about Jonah, the prophet that smelled like fish guts. Do you know what I'm talking about? Who God called to Nineveh to preach against it. This city, by all accounts, known as extremely wicked, but Jonah refused, not because he was afraid of public speaking, but he knew that God would give these people grace if they responded by repentance to his preaching. And that's exactly what God would do. Jonah would go, and Jonah would preach a seven-word sermon, to which some of you would be like, Josh, how come you can't do that? I'm not Jonah. Which led to people in the turning to the Lord, seeking forgiveness which God gave and then we see Jonah in chapter 4 crying out to God in anger said please Lord isn't this what I said while still in my country that this is why I fled to Tarshish in the first place I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger abounding in faithful love and one who resent relents from sending disaster but I don't have time to tell you about Jonah but I do have time to tell you about Rahab do you know Rahab Rahab was a professional sinner that's what she did. That was her life. In Joshua chapter 2, God was gonna, getting ready to prepare to execute his wrath on the city of Jericho through the Israelite army. So Joshua, the Israelite leader and commander, is getting ready to lead the army to overtake Jericho. So he sends out two spies into Jericho. And as these two spies were in Jericho, the people of Jericho found out that these spies were there somewhere. So they sent search parties. And so Rahab took these two spies in and hid them and then provided a way of escape for them. And this is interesting because Rahab here was part of a very corrupt culture that was far from God, yet she must have heard stories from the many men whom she came in contact with about God's greatness, of who God is. God was the one who rescued the Israelites from the powerful Egyptians. God was the one who led their Israelites miraculously through the parted Red Sea. God was the one who had sustained the Israelites and strengthened them while leading through the wilderness wanderings. And so as she heard these stories, she comes to this phrase in Joshua 2.11, because what she had heard, she believed and confesses. She says, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. I believe that God is who he is, and he's above all, all the time. It's a confession of faith. And what we see in Rahab is her faith in the Lord led her to take risks before the Lord, leading to her salvation into the coming conflict, bringing her from life to life of prostitution into a life with God's people. So as we see the story of Rahab in Joshua 2, it's an amazing account, but I need us to see 
our story in Rahab's story. I need to see how God interacted with Rahab to better see how God still interacts with us today. You see, Rahab was saved by God's grace through faith. That was it. Hebrews 11, 13, or 31 says, By faith of Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. By faith, she hid the spies. And it's interesting, there's a couple times after this account that Rahab is titled Rahab the prostitute. I'm convinced that it's not because her past still defined her. I'm convinced it's because we see the greatness of God's grace. Even though she was once a prostitute, she's no longer defined by that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is God's gift. Not from works so that no one can boast. Rahab was saved by God's grace through faith, and it still is the same today. Everyone is saved by grace through faith alone. Which leads us to point number two. Faith leads to works. That's what we see with Rahab. Again, Hebrews eleven thirty one. By faith, the prostitute welcomed the spies in the peace. Her faith led to her hiding the spies, taking risks. Her faith led her to follow what the spies told her to do. They said, you will be saved if you do this. You hang a scarlet cord out of your window. So when we come, we can identify what house you are. And you all stay in here. Don't leave the house when we come. And this is interesting because she had to do exactly what she said, not what anybody else would say. Even today, it's, there's one way to be saved. There's a lot of speculations and ideas like we covered earlier. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. There is one way of salvation. And by faith, you live that out. And that's exactly what Rahab did. By faith, she believed in God and it led her to do works for the Lord. And finally, and thirdly, Rahab's past, as we talked about, no longer defined her. She was given a new identity. I love this because Rahab went from a sinful prostitute to God's chosen pathway to bring salvation to sinners through Jesus, our Savior. What do I mean? This is amazing. So whoever, as you read the Bible, comes to a genealogy and says, yes, I've been waiting for this. This is my devotional time. Just get refreshed by reading a list of genealogies. Anybody? Yeah, me either. But here, well, what I want you to know, don't overlook them. Don't overlook them. Like, I'm just going to bypass this and get to what God's really trying to say. God is speaking volumes through genealogies. And the proof I want us to hear is Matthew 1. 1 through 5 says this. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. The son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zear by Tamar, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Amminadad, Amminadad fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Solomon, and Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Rahab the prostitute, the professional sinner, God chose, selected to be his pathway to bring the Savior of the world. 
And so if you think you have some sin issues that God can't overcome, get over yourself. We say it constantly here. God's grace is greater than your sin. And because of who she was in the Lord, looking forward to, by faith, the Savior, she was given a new identity. In the same way, us looking back to Jesus, our Savior, by faith, we're given a new identity. I don't know what you're walking through, been through, I don't know what you're doing or have done, but it doesn't define you, and it can change at an instant you believe. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. That means those things that you used to do are no longer even relevant. They don't define you. You are new in God's sight. You've been forgiven, redeemed, bought back as a child of God, and have a new identity. Your past does not define your future. And this is where we started when the hymn writer says, amazing grace, this is what he's talking about. When you see who you are and how you are a desperate, black-hearted sinner in need of saving and God did that, how could you not say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch like me? I was once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And my prayer for us is that we see this morning how amazing God's grace is. If you've been following Jesus for 40 years or for four minutes, I pray that he brings a refreshing and stirring in your heart to see how amazing his grace is. And if you've been resisting him for 40 years or for the last 30 minutes, I pray that you submit yourself, humble yourself to the grace of God and let the grace train of God's grace wreck your life. And forever change you. James 4, 6 6 says, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And when God gives grace, it's, as Ephesians 1, 6 says, lavished on us. Lavished. I don't know what comes to mind when you hear lavished. But I think about Thanksgiving when I had mashed potatoes, turkey, green beans, because I'm forced to as a role model for my kids. Sweet potatoes. It's good, but you know what I do? Then I take the gravy. And I just lavish. You can't even see it. It's like a plate of gravy. It doesn't look like I have food because it's swimming in gravy. Lavished it. God's grace is like gravy. Take that with you. That's the only thing you remember. God's grace is like gravy. I don't know what he meant. Lavished on us. I think about my kids after they get done eating ice cream. They just got it all over them. And then who else to wash them up? They can't reach the sink. So I'm like holding them because I don't want to get that on me, right? So I'm holding them, and they're like squirming and trying to grab me, and I'm wrestling without getting that. That should be us. We're people of grace. And so as we go, we should just be getting grace all over folks, right? Because we've been lavished on grace. And how can that, the lavishness of us can just not spread to those around us? People saved by grace should be people of grace, just getting people all messy with grace. What would that look like? Monday morning. What would that look like? I'm going to close with this, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. 
So for some, maybe you've been resisting God's grace for a long time. I'm just praying the Holy Spirit brings you to the point that you see, I can't resist anymore. What Jesus did on the cross, dying the death that I deserved, paying the price for sin that I was called to pay but couldn't, took my spot on that wooden railing, on that tree, on that cross. And as he was dying, being murdered, blood all over himself, he said, it is finished. To Tetelestai means paid in full. The debt that you and I owed had been paid in full. And now it's applied for those who believe. I'm just wondering, have you believed that? Do you believe that? Today's a day of salvation. Today's a new day. If you have been resisting the grace train of God, I pray you get ran over, backed up, whatever it takes. For you come to God and say, you are so good. And your grace is so amazing. And your love is so unsearchable understanding. I don't get it all, but I know you love me, get yourself for me, and I want you more than I want me. What would that look like? We're going to respond like we do every Sunday. I'm going to invite our worship team going back up. And what I want us to do is not just rush through this moment because I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing in your life right now. I just wonder how many of us need to fall at the feet of Jesus for mercy and grace in this moment. Christians and non-Christians alike. I wonder if, if you're being honest enough right now and just to ask God to reveal those things in your life this week that you've fallen short, that you have sinned and have not repented of. Repentance is a good thing. Conviction that leads to repentance is the evidence of God's grace working in your life. I wonder if you can be honest enough right now Say, God, reveal to me areas that I have fallen short and I haven't seen it. Or maybe areas have fallen short, but your pride has prevented you from acknowledging it. Bring that to Jesus in this moment and just be honest with him right where you're sitting. Holy Spirit, search us. Reveal to us. And those who have continued to resist God's grace, my prayers for that you humble yourself and just receive the amazing grace of God and start living for yourself, which is the wide path that leads to destruction and enter the gate that is Jesus that leads to life. And as John 10, 10 says, the abundant life. I'm going to invite us to just to pray together. And as I lead us to the prayer, we'll then just respond of worship. And so that may be for you just sitting and praying as we sing and praise. So for many people will stand and sing. For many, some of you just need to sit and pray and just be honest and real with God. We'll have a prayer team to the side. We'd love to pray with you, pray for you, walk alongside you and whatever God's leading you to do in this next step in your faith journey. But take this moment just to respond to God's graciousness and his leading in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you 
for bringing us to this place in the reminder of the goodness of your grace. Father, help us to not ever get over how amazing your love is and how great your grace is for us. Lord, as you reveal to us our desperate need for you, help us to not stay in that area of desperation, but let it lead to devotion to you. It is true that we were sinners and we are wretched, but in you we have value and worth and that we're loved and we have an identity because you created us uniquely the way we are to know you and to be known by you. So help us to be known by you. Many of us know you, but we're not known by you, and that only comes through faith in Christ. And so right now, we just ask that you continue to draw us to yourself. Help us to fix our eyes on you and just remain sitting in the goodness of your grace. Let your Holy Spirit just wash over and through this place. Lavish your grace on us, Father. Lord, even as we think about the sin that has stirred up in our lives, maybe you're even revealing at this time, remind us of the goodness of your grace and how you have forgiven all those who have come to you in repentance and faith and help us then to forgive ourselves. And help us then to forgive others in the same way you have forgiven us. Only you can do that. And so we just ask for that work in our lives right now by the power of your spirit because we need you. Have your way in this moment, and let us carry us through this new day, this new week, into uh, this life of following you and remaining just in your grace. We thank you, Father. We pray all this in the mighty, precious, gracious name of Jesus. Amen.
Here I am an offering Lord I give you all of me Take my life and have your way And let it glorify your name Oh let it glorify your name Sing hallelujah Praise to the Lord we give you glory and still you are worthy of more in adoration we sing your praise let every nation with heaven proclaim all the glory 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 is yours you are worthy 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 of more Every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord of all. And every knee will bow, every tongue confess that my Jesus is Lord of all. And every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that our Jesus is Lord of all and everything I have everything for this that Jesus is Lord of all sing hallelujah praise to the Lord we give you glory and still you are worthy of more in adoration we sing your praise let every nation with heaven proclaim all the glory 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 is yours you are worthy 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 of more all the glory 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 is yours you are worthy 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 of more Father, you are so good, and you are worthy of so much more. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your grace and your amazing love poured out through Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to worship you with our life, because you are worthy of it. Help us to glorify you with our life, because you're worthy of it. We thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.